Please turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. We're going to be looking at the first 23 verses of Mark chapter 7 this morning. Religion versus relationship. Where did we go wrong? So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you're interested in our hearts. You're interested in relationship with us. And so many times we get caught up in religion, going through traditions, checking off boxes. And we ask that you would minister to us, that you would show yourself to us, that you would reveal more of yourself to us. God, you know each of us, you know our struggles, our joys. You give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't Google Maps a blessing? Hasn't that changed your life? Remember those days where you would ask directions, someone would tell you directions, and it would be something like this. When you get to the red house, keep going straight a quarter mile, you'll see the big tree on your right, and then when you get to that stop sign that's a little bit crooked, you'll take a left. You're like, what in the world? What does that mean, right? I I don't know how to to get there. Now we just type it into our phone, and off, off we go. I got to say that Google Maps has been a real blessing to our marriage. Yeah. This is a little bit stressful trying to find uh, directions. And in those moments of not knowing where you're going, maybe you took a wrong turn. For some reason, it always gets really hot in the car right then. And I, I'll go, man, it's just so hot in here. And I'll start turning on the AC and all those kind of things as it's getting a little bit tense. But every once in a while, when I put in Google Maps, it's wrong. It's easy to just type it in and trust it. Probably about a month ago, I was driving up to, to North Denver, and I, I, I kind of had an idea where I was going, but it had been, been a while, so I, I typed it in. I'm just following Siri. In 15 miles, take a left, you know, and all that. And then, I, don't, I don't really know if this is, this is right. And I just about tripped. That would have been funny. So right into the baptismal. <laughs> Uh, so here I am cruising on I-25 going north, and all of a sudden I ask this question, where, where did I go wrong? And sometimes in your life, do you ever ponder that question? Like, where did I go wrong? How did I end up here? How did my heart end up in this place? And a lot of times I think religion puts us in the wrong place. We're going to look at two groups of people The Pharisees and the scribes, they were extremely religious, but they completely ended up off track. Have you ever wondered, you know, where's that couple that was so involved with the things of God, with with church, with loving people, and now you could never get them to gather with God's people? You would never find them in a setting like this. Where did they go wrong? Could it be that they were caught up in religion but missed that relationship with Jesus Christ. Read your Bible faithfully, reading it over and over and studying the word and studying the word. And then all of a sudden that person who's studying God's word walks out on their spouse and says, you know what? I don't care about marriage. I don't care what God says about marriage. I'm done. I'm, I'm through. Could it be that reading God's word was a tradition or a religion, a box to check instead of a heart that was connecting with the Lord? Maybe someone who's wrote a tithe check faithfully year after year, month after month, and then all of a sudden their heart is hard 
towards the Lord because God's not about religion. I hope you know that. He's not about us just coming to church on Sunday morning, going, oh good, it's what I do on Sunday morning. It's, it's expected of me. I'm going to go re- read my Bible. I'm going to worship. He's always been interested in our hearts. I think that we can fall into the same trap as the scribes and the Pharisees, and there's a lot for us to learn in Christ's instruction to them. Verse 1, Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. The Pharisees, their name, they were a special group of people, is set apart once. So they would join this group of being a Pharisee to be set apart from God. Don't misunderstand, they started off well. They intended to follow God closely to walk in holiness. But as they entered into this group, they got their eyes off of the Lord and got their eyes onto the traditions of men, adding to God's word. This group was so dedicated that they would tithe on their herbs. So if they grew herbs in their garden, in their backyard, they would give that to the Lord. We had some mint in our garden this summer, and mint grows like a weed. It's a huge, huge plant. Could you imagine tithing on your mint? So you're pulling leaves off your, your mint plant, and all of a sudden you've got a hundred leaves, and you've got to give ten to, to the work of the Lord. I mean, every little detail, they were trying to make sure that they were right with God. The scribes were the teachers. The, the scribes had that responsibility of the word of God. They come all the way up from Jerusalem. So Jerusalem's down south. Jesus is north in the Sea of Galilee region. And they've come to see Jesus with the wrong motive. They're trying to entrap Christ instead of wanting to get to know him. Verse 2. Now, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all of the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. Here they come to see Christ and Christ's disciples. And what's their first observation of this group of Christ and his followers? They don't wash their hands appropriately. They've got the wrong focus. They're focused on the outward instead of the inward. The law never gave instructions, the Old Testament, God's word, on how that they were to wash their hands before they ate. We oftentimes think of the danger of taking away from God's word, but also to add to God's word is extremely dangerous. Think about a recipe if you cook. If you take some things out of your recipe, it might not turn out too well. But it's even more dangerous if you just start adding stuff into your recipe, isn't it? And this is what religion does. Religion oftentimes adds extra biblical rules to God's word. We don't take away from God's word. We don't add God's word. A lot of times, these rules that religion imposes on people have to do with the outward. Religion gets consumed with how do you look on on the outside instead of focusing on the heart. The Mishnah, which was Their writings or traditions of the elders had 65 pages for the nation of Israel on how to wash your hands appropriately before you ate. I'd have been in so much trouble. I'm not a real detail-oriented person. And so they're looking at the disciples and they're eating and they're not washing their hands appropriately. We need to be careful as we do get involved with Religion. Religion is 
an organized group of people that come together to, to worship God, that we don't fall into this trap of just trying to clean up the outside. I brought one of my loves with me uh, this morning, and it's a coffee mug. You know that I, I love coffee. And this is a pretty nice mug. It's out of the cafe upstairs, the open door cafe, and it looks pretty good on the outside. It's even got a nice handle. Do you judge your coffee mugs by the handle? Like, I don't want a coffee mug that's a, a one-finger teacup. Amen? Men? You with me? Like, I want, I want a coffee mug that I can, I can hold. So, so this is, this is a, a good mug. But what really matters about this mug? Is it what's on the outside? What really matters is what's on the inside. Is it clean? Is it a clean coffee mug? And we can get consumed with how a, a coffee mug looks you know, and is it a sexy coffee mug? You know, do people like this, this coffee mug? Because I enjoy coffee, sometimes I will, most times will drive here to the church with, with a cup of coffee in my car and will finish it in my office. And then I put that coffee mug in my office and there's still some coffee inside. And over time, the inside of the mug gets pretty gross. And there's even been a few times where there's been mold inside of the coffee mug. Disgusting, huh? Now what if I had a really nice coffee mug, but yet the inside was filled with old, crusty, disgusting, moldy coffee? Would any of you like to use that cup? Heck no. You're like, no way. I'm not going to to use that cup. It's what's inside that matters to the Lord. So the first place that these guys have gone wrong is they have the wrong focus. It's outward instead of inward. I remember when God first got a hold of my life, I was 14 years old and went to a really healthy church. And my tendency was to focus on the outward first, to see how people looked, how they behaved, what the cultural norms of this Christian community was. And our pastor, he loved the Word of God. He studied the Word of God. And he had a a, a Bible that had a really cool leather cover And it really caught on in our church. People started finding out where he got this leather cover and who custom made him. And before you know it, a bunch of people had this same leather Bible cover on their Bibles. it, It was awesome. You could even put a mechanical pencil in there. So as God touched my heart, I figured I needed to get one of those Bible covers. Like I wanted to be like my pastor. I wanted to be like those people in my church that were serious about the Lord. So I had to have one of these Bibles. I got the exact same Bible that he had and the exact same Bible cover. And he would wear Birkenstocks. How cool are Birkenstocks? You kind of have to grow up in Oregon to appreciate that. But And he'd wear wool socks. He'd be up teaching the Bible with wool socks in his Birkenstocks with his leather Bible cover. So before you know it, here I am coming to church and I've got Birkenstocks with wool socks in my Bible cover. And then I would even try to kind of walk the way that he'd walk, you know, with my Birkenstocks. And, and then the craziest thing started to happen. People started to say, wow, Eric, God's really gotten a hold of your life. <laughs> Why? Because I started doing the outward things, huh? And we feel that pressure. Okay, this is what believers do. And they look like this and they dress like this and they carry their Bible and they talk like this but it's the wrong focus. We've got to focus upon the heart. 
And we get into verse 4. When they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. They're washing everything. Everything you cooked with had to be washed in an appropriate way. Even your furniture had to be washed in an appropriate way. And extra biblical rules take joy out of relationship with the Lord. This is so much work. You know, did I wash the pan correctly? Did I wash the furniture correctly? Did I wash my hands correctly? And God had never commanded any of these things. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? This is a heart to entrap Jesus, not a heart to know. Accusing Christ and his disciples, why don't you guys follow the traditions of the elders? He answered and said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Isaiah 29, verse 13, he's saying, guys, this is you. This speaks of you. You're honoring me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. They had the wrong focus, but they also had the wrong worship. Convicting that our worship can be wrong to God. And it was lips over heart. Lip service to the Lord. Words that sounded good, but not honest words. Not words that were coming from the heart. Not a relationship with the Lord. They got so used to saying all of these right things that their heart was disconnected from those words. What did the community feel about the scribes and the Pharisees? That they were the most godly. You would assume that these guys were godly because they had the outward stuff together. They were outwardly religious. They were outwardly moral. They said the right words, but the corruption of their hearts had never been dealt with and their hearts hadn't been given to the Lord. They weren't walking with God. What would you rather in a friendship or a relationship, would you rather lip service or heart? Now, words are important and valuable if they're backed up from the heart, but if they don't come from the heart and there's not follow through, it destroys a relationship, doesn't it? What if I told one of my friends, hey, I'm going to help you move. I'm going to be there for you. And I gave this great speech of how much they meant to me and all that I was going to do to be there for them. But I never meant it. I never intended to do it. And I didn't follow through and I didn't show up. Wouldn't you rather some other person say, well, I think I can make it. And they show up, right? They meant it. Their heart was, was behind it. What if a husband always says the right thing to their wife? Your wife's like, that would be awesome. My husband's always putting his foot in his mouth, right? What if every day he's like, oh, babe, you're just so beautiful. You're the best. You're so wonderful. I appreciate you. But then you come to find out he's cheating on you. He's, he's being unfaithful. He's, he's with another woman. Those words were, were empty. We have to be careful in the things that we say to God and the prayers that we express and the songs that we sing, that our heart is connected to these words. So sometimes when I pray, unfortunately, if I stop and examine it, I go, wow, I wasn't even thinking about what I was saying, especially at mealtimes. Lord, thanks for this food. Amen. Let's eat. 
And am, am I really thankful? Have I really stopped and, and paused? It's not about how long we pray, but our hearts being connected to it. Ecclesiastes warns us about this. This is chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. And listen to it and hear what God is saying. Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth and let your heart utter anything hastily before God, for God's in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes through much activity or work, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. In paraphrase, think about what you say to God. Be prepared to listen to God. Make sure that your heart is connected to the words that you speak. And verse 7 continues this thought and says, In vain they worship me. The scribes and the Pharisees are great at worship. They're great at showing up for church. They're great at reading their Bible. But it's in vain. Meaning that it's empty. Vanity means emptiness. It's empty to God. It's meaningless to God. You worship me in vain. So there's possibility that we can do worship and not have it be meaningful to the Lord. Because it is just lip service. This was the condition that the nation of Israel was in when Isaiah prophesied. We read Isaiah 29 verse 13, but also Isaiah chapter 1 speaks of how God was actually disgusted with their worship. It says, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. I cannot endure the iniquity and sacred meetings. That's quite a statement. God's saying, I can't sit through another one of your worship services. I'd rather you not bring this to me. I'd rather you not bring these sacrifices. And the reason why is they didn't mean it. They'd bring these sacrifices to the Lord and then go live a life that was completely contrary to the Lord. As we'll see in just a moment, God understands struggle. He understands the depravity of our hearts. He sent his son for that deepest, darkest place of us. But what he doesn't desire is for us to play games. For what he doesn't desire is for for us to to come in and give him lip service with no intention to desire to, to follow him. Goes on to say, and he says, my soul hates, they are trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them, speaking of their worship services. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Church, brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a good heart check this morning, isn't it? To say, do I have the wrong focus? Am I more concerned with saving face? With cleaning up the outside of what people think of me? Has my worship gone wrong a little bit? Am I checking off boxes? Am I thinking about the words that I'm speaking to God? Or am I simply rattling off things that I'm not not connected to? We go on, it says, Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Wrong focus, wrong worship, and wrong teaching. Why? Because they're taking the teachings of men, the traditions of men, presenting them as the doctrines of God. 
Doctrine means the teaching about who God is and how he wants us to live our lives. It's not philosophy. It's not, what do I think? What do you think? This is, this is what God says about himself. This is what God communicates on how we're supposed to, to live our lives. And they're presenting man's opinions, man's traditions as thus says the Lord. This is what, what God says. So God wants you to wash your hands like this before you eat. See the difference? Not, well, I think it's a good idea for you to do this. This is, this is the word of the Lord. You better wash your pans in, in this way. So it's man's teaching over God's teaching. Let's see how Jesus addresses this a bit more. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the traditions of men. The washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. What a terrible trade. Can you say that with me? What a terrible trade. This is a terrible trade. Sometimes in sports, it turns out that there's just a terrible trade. And this is a terrible trade. Why? Because they take the commands of God, the word of God that's so good and so powerful, and they trade it in for the teachings of men. We don't, we don't ever want that. Because that would be a, a terrible trade for us. We always want to hold the word of God in its highest place and highest regard. In verse 9, and he said to them, All too well you reject the command of God that you may keep your tradition. It shows how much they value tradition, how much they value this teaching of men that's been passed on from generation where they're choosing man's teaching over God. We examine our own hearts and our own lives. Sometimes we hold on to things that we believe is from God, but we come to understand that's just man's teaching. And I've believed this, but it becomes very dear to us and when we're confronted with God's word, we say, no, I'm going to keep the traditions of men. I'm going to keep this, which I've always to believe to be true about God. In verse 10, for Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. Christ is illustrating how they've rejected God's teaching for man's teaching. He says, you guys know what the word of God says. You know what Moses says. Honor your father and your mother. And if you're not honoring your father and your mother, you curse your father and mother, let him be put to death. High school students, junior high students, you better be thankful you live under the new covenant of God's grace. Because <laughs> you'd be put to death, right? I wouldn't have made it to high school. Could you imagine parenting under this law? You just have a big stone that you'd keep in your family room. If your kids were being really bad, just set it on the table. Just keep it up. Keep, keep, keep cursing your mom, you know? And this, this is the way this is going to go down. I mean, it's pretty clear. I mean, does anybody have questions about, about this? What, what is God saying? What's the principle that God's communicating? Honor your father and mother. Look how they twisted it in verse 11. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you may have received from me is corbane, that is a gift to God. My cursing is actually a gift to you. So here I am disrespecting you, cursing you, but you really needed to hear it. So in actuality, I was honoring you. See how they manipulated God's word? changed God's word, twisted God's word to make it say something that was more comfortable to them. 
We are very much as the church of God, the people of God, living in a time. This is not speaking about people that aren't in the church. This is speaking about churches, pastors, where this is what's happening in the church of God today is we're taking what God has clearly said in his word and we're finding a way to manipulate it, to make it something that fits us, that fits our worldview, fits our opinions. And that's not our job with the scripture. Either the scripture is from God and it's the authority or it's not. So I take my life and I'm supposed to submit it to the word of God, not the other way around. What are some ways that we do this today? One is people study the scriptures and then they go, oh, well, this is just cultural. It was only meant for the church of Ephesus and it wasn't meant for us today. And that's a very clever way of saying, well, God didn't communicate to all generations through all time. This was just specific to one church. Where does that stop? Once you go down that road. Well, Romans 8, 28, that, that's for me. All things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. But this teaching over here, that's not cultural. Well, well, well no, that, that isn't written for me. This may be a new understanding for you, but the Bible has never been cultural in the sense that it wasn't written to fit into all the cultural nuances. It was written to rock culture, to change culture, to cause us to live differently, to cause us to live biblically. We oftentimes take ideas that we believe about God and we then create theology around it. Maybe you've heard this, maybe you've said this. Well, God wants me to be happy. And usually it's connected to something that's sinful. Something that God has clearly told me not to do. But, but God, deep down, he wants me to be happy. I just can't find that in the Bible. I keep reading God wants me to be holy. And out of that holiness comes a wholeness, comes an abundant life that's worthwhile. But God's not concerned with our happiness, first and foremost. Are you concerned with your children's happiness, first and foremost? Probably not. You want them to be happy, but more so you want them to be whole. Amen? Like, this is good for you. This is good for you in the long run. So I know this is tough, but this is going to be the best direction. And our Heavenly Father does that as well. Another way that we've done this is, is to say, well, you know, as long as two people love each other, God's a God of love. So since they love each other, isn't it all good? Does it matter that they're the same gender? That it's a man with a man and a woman with a woman? You can find a lot of churches. I'm talking about churches and pastors that will teach you that and say that that is from God. But it's the wrong definition of love. God is the one who's defined marriage for us. The Bible gives us a definition of marriage. It says, in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve, male and female. Why did God record that? Because he knew it would be tested. So as we love people, we say, you know what? God has given us standards that are going to lead to health and goodness in your life. And I know that it's difficult, but this is the direction that God has for you. So if I could speak to your heart this morning, it is a very important time that you know your Bible, that you read it for yourself, from Genesis to Revelation. I know that's overwhelming. How could I ever do that? Start in the New Testament. Start with the Gospels. 
Pray that God would give you a desire to be able to do that because so much is being said by churches, by pastors, by Christian authors. Well, this is what God says. Well, how do you really know? You've got to know it for yourself. We don't want to take God's word and twist it and change it the way that the Pharisees and the scribes were doing. Verse 12, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother. They lost the biblical truth. What was the biblical truth? Honor your parents. And they've twisted it to now you're not doing anything for for your parents. Verse 13, this is the result, making the word of God of no effect through your traditions, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. Is this dangerous? Absolutely. What's the result? God's word has no effect. Is there any problem with the word? The problem's not with the word. The word's powerful. It's living and active. The problem is we're changing the word. The problem is we're twisting the word to a point now where I can read it and I don't have to accept what it says. I don't have to put myself in a place of submission under the word of God. And this is so humbling because this is the group that studied and taught the word of God the most. Maybe who's most in danger of making this mistake is pastors and teachers. We spend so much time in the word and study the word. If we're not careful, we can get to a place where we're changing the word of God instead of submitting to the word of God. In verse 14, when he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear me, everyone, and understand. Jesus says, all right, guys, I've been talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. I want to bring in the multitude. There's something everybody needs to understand about the scribes and the Pharisees. And he says, hear me understand, listen, this is important. It's important application for us as well. There is nothing that enters a man from the outside which can defile him. That's what the scribes and Pharisees were worried about. That's why they're washing so thoroughly. So something might come in that would defile me. But the things that which come out of a man, these are the things that defile a man. It's not the outside that's the problem. It's the inside. What's on the inside? My heart. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things who can know it. So this is what the Pharisees have missed. And this is what Jesus is teaching to the multitude. If anyone hears, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Stop and listen. We don't like to hear this. The problem's me. The problem's inside of my heart. That's what I've really got to deal with. When he entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. The disciples don't understand and they have the courage to ask. Great example for us. Religion just goes along with the flow whether you understand or not. Everybody seems to be nodding their head and getting it and understanding. I don't understand. I've been left in left field. But the disciples, they've got a relationship with Jesus. So they can come and say, Jesus, I don't get it. We can come to the Lord and say, God, I don't understand. So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that what enters a man from the outside cannot defile him? This shows us how deep this tradition of the elders had got into their hearts and minds. They were really worried about what was coming in from the outside defiling them. And Jesus is like, Don't you get it? That's not what defiles you. Because, speaking of the food, it doesn't enter his heart 
but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. Discretion tells me I'll just leave it right there. Just leave verse 19 right there. Verse 20, and he said, what comes out of a man, speaking of the heart, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. Religion cannot provide an answer, a solution, a remedy to a wicked heart. The only thing that can provide forgiveness, redemption, transformation of this type of wickedness is the gospel, is a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus came. The reality of me is the inside is extremely sinful and ugly. The reality of you is the inside of you is extremely sinful and ugly. I don't want you to see that about me. You don't want me to see that about you. Unfortunately, a lot of times coming to church is, I'm going to paint a good face on, on the outward. But we have a Savior that doesn't just want to go skin deep. We have a Savior that's, first and foremost, he's not concerned with the outside, he's concerned with the inside. What blows me away about the love of God is God demonstrated his love towards us And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knew our hearts. He knew how sinful they were, how disgusting they were. And he says, Eric, I died for you in that sinful state so that you could know me, that you could be forgiven, so that you could have relationship with me. It would be great if the struggle with sin and this wicked heart went away the moment that we received Christ as our Savior. But the reality of it is, is we still wrestle with these things until we go home to be with the Lord. And I find this to be so encouraging. Because in a relationship with Christ as a believer, as we wrestle with sin, instead of hiding it, just checking off boxes, doing outward things, we can come to our Savior and go, Jesus, I'm not proud of these things. But I am struggling with these things. And these things seem to be laying a hold of me. Covetousness is having its way with me. An evil eye. Sexual sin. It's in my heart. Lord, would you come and forgive me afresh? Would you help me afresh? And what does Jesus do? He cleanses us. He forgives us. He gives us the power and he transforms us. So religion can't provide the answer. But a relationship with Christ can. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, maybe you've grown up in a very religious setting. You grew up in the church. Maybe you've been coming to church for years. I grew up going to church. I grew up in a Christian school. And I missed a relationship with Christ till I was in high school. I just didn't get it. All I saw was rules and regulations. You could go to church for your whole life and still not go to heaven not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, not have that wickedness inside of you really dealt with. What's the answer? What's the gospel? 
to turn from your sin, realize I'm a sinner. Yes, this stuff does exist inside of me. Maybe I can fool people outwardly, but I know my heart. I'm turning away from my sin and I'm believing, Jesus, you're God. You are really God. You're who you said you are. You died for my sins right here, me. You, you love me and rose again. Jesus, would you forgive me and be the Lord of my life? And the beauty of the gospel is he forgives us and he begins to change us. Now, if you don't want to change, you're not ready to receive Christ. If you're like, yep, all these things are just fine with me. I want to keep all that in my life. Then you're not ready to receive Christ because Christ will receive us just as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. So he's going to forgive us. He's going to save us. And he's going to say, okay, Eric, it's time to grow. It's time to change. And it's a process and it'll continue to be a process till we go home to be with the Lord. So in just a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to receive Christ. It's very simple. It's not about joining a church. You're not committing to go to church. This is between you and Jesus, a relationship where you raise your hand and pray a prayer with me in your heart. It's important it comes from your heart, not just lip service, and receiving Christ as your Savior. For those of us that are believers, religion kills. Religion kills. Turn your back on religion and turn your face towards relationship. Choose the priority of inward over outward. God, I, I want to do business with you in my heart. I want my words to be meaningful because they're coming from my heart. Do you think God can handle it during worship if we're like, you know what, God, right now, this is just lip service. I'm not connected to what I'm singing at all. And I'm sorry about that. Would you help change my heart? I think he'd be pleased with that, don't you? It's getting our heart re-engaged. And then let's not go down this road, this slippery slope of manipulating and changing God's word. Who are we to change God's word? He's God, I'm not. And his word either has authority in our lives or not. So let's pray together. If you're a believer, please be praying for those that are making a decision about Christ. Jesus, we thank you that you're concerned with our hearts that you want relationship with us, that you died for our sins. You died for that ugliest part of me that I try so hard to hide. That's how much you love us. God, would you show your love to those that have never received you, that have maybe been very religious or maybe have never come to church before? Would you show them their need for you?